Colossians, the first chapter, starting with the 11th verse, and when you have it, please stand. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and being joyful, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the first is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross god's word for god's people and god's people said amen, amen. you may be seated so there's this map I learned about when preparing for this sermon. It was called the Ebstorf map. It was made in the 13th century. And somebody, we don't know who, but somebody took 30 goatskins, sold them all together, and painted on them a map of the world. And this map of the world, the center of the world on this map was Jerusalem. They thought that Jerusalem was the, the, the belly or the middle or the center of the world and everything else branched out to that or from that rather. And we've, we've learned that that was not uh, you know, according to map makers and cartographers and all those people that do all those things, we've learned that that is not, Jerusalem is not the center of the earth. But even though Jerusalem is not the physical center of the earth, Jerusalem still remains the spiritual center of the earth. And they thought that Jerusalem was the center of the earth because that is where Jesus did his work. And so, they thought, as we should think now, even though it's not physically true, it should still be spiritually true that everything should be held together by Jesus. Jesus should have control over everything in our life. 
Jesus should be at the center. No matter what's going on, no matter what we have going on, no matter what kind of status we've achieved, no matter what kind of friends we have, no matter what kind of job we have, no matter how much education we have, no matter what's going on with our family, Jesus should be at the center. Amen. Amen. And so Paul is telling these people in Colossians, uh, he is, he's, he's, as he is with all of these letters, either he or somebody else went there and talked these people about Jesus, and they got on their way, and then as they got further and further away, generation after generation from these people, uh, they got further and further away, and, and as the, 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 the people got further and further away from what they were originally taught, Paul had to write a letter and say, this is how you as what we now call Christians are supposed to behave. And so first he starts off by praying for them in the beginning. He has a greeting where he talks about he's Paul, the apostle of Christ, and, and, and is written by Paul and also Timothy, your brother, and, and, uh, and God's holy name to the people of Colossus, the holy people, our faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And after he greets them, he prays for them. Oh, how much better we would all be if after we <laughs> greeted people, we spent some time in prayer. Oh, how much better we would be if we spent more time in prayer with these people instead of talking about them. He prays for them. Paul is praying for the people, the Colossians, that they will be better able to walk worthy as a believer. Paul prays for their faith and their hope and their love. And he says that we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and the love that spring from the hope stored in you in heaven and abound. And have already heard the true message of the gospel. Faith, hope, and love. Paul talks about faith later on in Corinthians when he's talking about love and he talks about faith and hope and charity in some cases, but it's also love and he talks about the greatest thing of all being love Uh, because we can have faith and we can have hope, but we'll lose faith and we'll lose hope when we see the things come true. But love should extend beyond the grave. If somebody truly loved you, whether they're around or not, you still feel that love and so he prays for their growth in faith and hope and love and then he prays that they'll grow in the knowledge of God Uh, if we are to call ourselves Christians we ought to know a little bit about God amen Amen. we ought to be able to spend a little time learning and growing and then he prays that they will please God and then he prays that they will bear fruit for God you'll know a tree by its fruit if I have a plant in my mom's backyard and I call it an apple tree but something round and orange that can be sliced up and has a skin that you peel off and is sweet and we squeeze the juice out of it and and drink it for breakfast that is not an apple tree Mm. that is an orange tree we know the tree by our fruit (laughs) Uh, if I call myself a Christian but I don't act like I love God or I don't act like I love people Am I really being a Christian? You'll know a tree by its fruit. So he prays that they'll bear fruit for God. And then he also prays before we get to the part that you read that they will be strengthened by God. He prays that they'll grow in the strength of the Lord. And in order to make this transition, because they'll not be able to walk this life on their own. 
They will not be able, we would like to think that we go day to day by our own strength. But the truth of the matter is, if it had not been for the Lord on your side, we would lose it. We would be able, we don't even own our own breath. If you don't believe me, try to hold it and see what happens. Nothing we have is our own. And so if we're going to make this life, if we're going to be able to love God and love people, God is going to have to give us strength. God is going to have to give us strength to deal with the people outside of church. If we didn't have something to depend on, if we couldn't get back to the center of God, if we couldn't get back to Jesus, I guarantee we'd act a whole lot different on the job. I guarantee we'd act a whole lot different in school. I guarantee we'd act a whole lot different in these streets. Right, all right. So he pays for them. He prays for them, sorry. He prays for them to be strengthened by God. Because if we're going to have to do this, if we're going to have to live this life, we're going to need some help. It's hard dealing with people. It's hard dealing with church folk. But we can't shake our heads too hard because somebody could be shaking their head about us. Uh, Nobody's perfect. We are all but filthy rags. Nobody is perfect. But in order for us to make this, in order for us to love God and love people and walk in this faith and keep on moving, we have to get strengthened by the Lord. Amen. And so he prays for their strength and and that they get some help from God. And then he goes on to talk about this kingdom, this kingdom of God. But he says, before I can talk about the kingdom... I need to talk about the king. Mm. Paul is talking about the kingdom and speaking of it. And so did Jesus talk about kingdoms because they lived in these times. We don't have a king anymore. We have presidents that we so say elect. (laughs) And those are leaders. And so we don't deal with them for the rest of their lives. And then their sons and daughters come by and, and take over the family business after they've done it. We deal with other things, but he talks about kingdoms. And you have to understand that in order to be a part of the kingdom, you have to understand who the king is. And the king is God, the unmoved mover, the maker of all things, the judge of all persons, the one who was and is and is to come, the beginning in the beginning, God made the heaven and earth, and earth was our form and void. That, that's God moving on it. But this God, who is the king, first off, we cannot see. The Bible tells us that we cannot look at the king directly and live. His power is too great to comprehend. In Exodus, Exodus 33, he, God tells Moses, you cannot see my face. Because nobody can see my face and live. But the Lord, Moses tells the Lord he still wants his glory. So they come up with an idea and he says he's going to put him in a cleft, a split in the rock. And as he walks by, he's going to put his hand over it so you can't see his face. And his glory will be there as he passes by. And even that, when the glory of the Lord hit Moses, they had to cover up Moses' face around the people because even then, that was too much to handle. And, and so no one can see his face and live. And then in Isaiah 6, it says, in the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
high and exalted, seated on a throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, and two wings they covered their feet, and with the other two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe to me, he cried, for I am ruined. I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes are seeing the King, the Lord God Almighty. Even the angels had to cover their face. Even the angels had to cover their face around God, and Isaiah knew he had seen something he was not supposed to see. He could not handle it. You could not take on God directly. God sits outside of the systems that we have. You cannot see him. But just because we don't see him, we don't need to act like he's not there. Just because you can't see God does not mean you act like there is no God. We still need to affect our daily lives and live like God is there. Because the Bible says, how can you claim to love God who you have never seen, but you don't love your neighbor (laughs) who you see every day? So just because God is not seen in our day-to-day lives and everything, we still need to operate like he's there. And so he says that we are separated from God because we cannot see him, but we still can be connected. Paul says, if you want to see the king, there is a way to look at him. If you want to see the father, you just need to look at the son. Amen. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what God is, look at his son. All right, all right. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, and he is head over all things, and all things go through him, exist in him, exist through him, and for him. We were separated from God, but Jesus came to bring that unity back. That was the goal that he accomplished. You know, I, 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 run, I come from a family with some strong, strong genes. <laughs> You don't need to look long to tell who I am related to. And you don't need to look long. You don't need to look long at my son to tell who his daddy is. Mm. Our genes are so strong that at one time in Chicago uh, at my grandmother Hargrave's house, we were all there and our, me and a couple of my cousins were all trying to figure out when and where did we take this picture that was sitting on the wall? It was an old picture. It was in black and white, but I swore that I was at the center and that a couple of my cousins were all on the right and left of me, and we were trying to figure out, Grandma, when did we take this picture? Grandma said, you did not take that picture, Johnny. That is not Johnny Jr. and Stephen Jr. and the rest of the cousins. That is Johnny Sr., and Stephen Sr. <laughs> and they had all taken that picture when they were about your age, but we all looked so much like our fathers. Yeah. 
that we even confused ourselves. Jesus is so much like his own father that if you ever need to look at what God is like, just look at the son. If you ever need to see what the father is like, you have a living, breathing example that walked with us for about 33 years. All right. And so he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. I like John. I like the gospel according to John. I like the gospel according to John because my New Testament professor drilled John into us real hard. Midterms and finals had questions about which is the best gospel. (laughs) A, the gospel according to John. B, the gospel according to John. C, the gospel according to John. Mm -hmm. And D, the gospel according to John. She was partial to the gospel according to John, and I guess it kind of rubbed off on me. Because in the beginning was the Word, Mm -hmm. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. And it goes on a little further down in John 1, and it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word was with God. And the word was God. Mm-hmm. And then the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And if we need to go a little further, we can go to Revelation where it talks about Jesus riding on a horse in victory and a name inscribed on his leg. And it says the word of God. Mm, all right. Colossians. Paul is telling this church at Colossians that they need to focus on the center. There's a whole lot of things going on, but you need to get back to the center. Whenever you want to aim to hit something, you aim to hit it in the center. Mm-hmm. I've seen that they train sharpshooters and, and people who handle guns. Whatever target you're aiming at, you want to aim center mass. I'm a fan of football, and uh, as much as I hate to say it, I'm watching these Dallas Cowboys. Ooh run through the NFL, and they're running through the NFL because the guys in the middle do their job. When you run track, you have to run down the center of the lane. When they have a a relay baton, the first person has the the, the baton in their right hand, and the second person has it, they catch it with their left and then give it to the next person in the right, and who gives it to the next person in their left. Why? Because they want the baton to go down the center. The center of everything is what's important. I watched basketball, and growing up, I watched a lot of folk and one all-stars who could dribble between their legs and around their back and over and bounce the ball off the opponent's forehead and fake their head and do a whole bunch of other stuff. But the coaches who were trained to defend all of these tricks said, don't watch their feet, watch their hips. Because no matter how much shaking and baking they do, their hips are going to tell you where they're going to go. Where are our hips in the middle? Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say here is no matter what we do, we need to focus on the center. All right, all right. Jesus is at the center of it all. And because we've been separated from this God that we cannot see, but we have a on earth example of what this God looks like and acts like and what this God says and does and feels, we have an opportunity to be reconnected. If you want to see the king, you look at the son. Mm-hmm. He's the firstborn of all creation. All right, all right. And since all things are from Christ and through Christ and for Christ, and because he's the firstborn of all creation, we are in the family and he is our older brother. 
Amen. So we need to focus on Jesus. We've kind of gotten away from that as a church. We've gotten into different polls and looking at all these things that we want to try to do to get the unchurched out here. And we've operated for a very long time of as if folks would be morally obligated to come to church just because we've turned the lights on and opened the doors. We need to be able to bring Jesus to them. Mm. Jesus should be at the center of it all. Jesus should be how this unity is accomplished and all things are for him and through him and we are all just here to take care of his creation. Christ is the head of the church. Doesn't matter who the pastor is. Doesn't matter who the DS is. Doesn't matter who the bishop is. Doesn't matter who the archbishops is or, or, or the cardinal or the pope or uh, district, uh, district president or fellowship association or somebody over their head or a general presbyter. Or no, it does mm-hmm. not matter. Christ is the head. Yeah. Christ is the center. Yeah. And that is what we should focus on. That is why we say that we believe in the holy Catholic church. When we say the Apostles' Creed every, every Sunday morning during the service, not because we are trying to tie ourselves to the Pope. The word Catholic means universal. And so when we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are not trying to line ourselves up with the Roman Catholic Church, even though I'm dressed in civic attire today. That's not what we are trying to do. We are saying that Jesus is the center of it. So we are concerned with the Holy Church with a big C, not a little C. Mm -hmm. This church does not have a particular address. It has one head, and that is Jesus. And that is what we ought to be thankful for. And that's what we ought to be focused on because it does not matter. You can put out all the prophets and the apostles and people that walked with Jesus that we need to focus on, not those people, but Jesus himself, because Christ is the head of all. Mm -hmm. And that is what he is saying when he says that he's the head of the church and the firstborn of all creation. He's first. So he's in charge. Mm -hmm. And so Paul continues the prayer later on, and he prays that they'll be thankful to God. Yes, he says in in, in verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who is all qualified to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins firstborn of all creation and so we ought to be thankful for what God did he gave us an opportunity to reconnect he gave us an opportunity to focus back on the center he gave us an opportunity to get back to what matters most and how did he do that through the son that he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins the firstborn of all creation, but also the firstborn of all the dead. Christ took care of that separation problem. He took care of that separation problem through his blood, dying on the cross. 
He took care of that. I, I, I get nervous when I hear about people who don't want to sing songs talking about Jesus in blood. I don't understand how you can do that. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon us. And by his stripes, we are healed. How can you not talk about the thing that saved you? How can you not talk about the thing that is keeping you from death, hell, and the grave? Jesus paid a price. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. We ought not to be scared to talk about blood. Hmm. Jesus did it because he was qualified to do it. He came down from eternity. Lived a life that we could not live. Died a death that we could not die and became a perfect sacrifice for us. Now others had tried. There are plenty of people out there who have claimed themselves to be the Messiah. But their stories don't seem to hold up very long. There are plenty of other people that claim to be the saviors. There are plenty of other Messianic claimants. There are plenty of people that even took up swords and went to war with the Roman Empire, saying that they were the messiahs, and they were here to separate this, the people of God from the oppression. And some of them lasted long, maybe about a week, until they got completely overrun. But this thing of claiming that, 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 that they were the messiahs is nothing new. A bunch of people claimed it, but when Jesus came down, he got it right. I remember in the summer, uh, I would go to Freeport, Illinois, and I would stay with my grandmother. And uh, we weren't allowed to be idle. And so my grandmother and my mother decided that we needed to run in the Junior mm. Olympics. All right. And so, uh, no, no, none of my grandparents, none of my family members wanted us to be idle. I, my grandmother was a librarian. My father's mother was a librarian. And so she would give us books and she would mail us books. And we would have to read them and write a book report and mail them back to her. That's how Grandma Hargrave got down and, and Grandma Bruce would have us all out doing hard labor. She would send us with Uncle Bubba and we'd have to go do some labor and take stuff to the junkyard and clean. We didn't sit around much growing up. That, that probably explains a lot now, but this whole sitting down much, and if, if you weren't involved in that, you had to be involved in some sort of sport. And I remember distinctly one day at Junior Olympics track practice, I was running for the Freeport Flyers. And, 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 the, and the, the track team, if you're not familiar with Junior Olympics, they allow you to run all kind of ages. And so you can run as, as young as like three or four years old, and then you can run as old as 18. But when you get 18, you, they, they group like the 19-year-olds all the way up to 35 together. And that's all comers. But I remember, so I said that to say that I was on a team, but we had a team that spanned all the ages. We had the bantam weight and the midget weight and the youth and the young men and all of these different weights that were going on because they based it on your age. And so you out there running and you five years old, but you might have an 18-year-old on your team as well. And they didn't compete against each other, but we practiced together. And I remember one of the young women who was an 18-year-old, we, we would go out there and we would practice and then we'd have to clean up the track. We'd have to take all the hurdles and put them all back and 
I remember one day, uh, one of the young men who was probably about 14-year-old saw the 18 and 19-year-old woman carrying the hurdles up some stairs. And he was trying to be gentlemanly. So he ran over to her and tried to take the hurdles from her so he could carry them himself. And she shooed him off. No, no, I got this. And kept going up the stairs. But then the coach walked up to her, didn't say a word, just grabbed the, the gently grabbed the hurdles from her and carried them up. And the young man was mad. Why would she let him carry the hurdles for her, but not me? And his mom was there and had to say, well, that's because he's a man. What I am saying is, is that the young man, although he had the desire to do something, he was not qualified All right. to do it for him. Uh-huh. Although his intentions were good, he was not accepted to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And I think about that when I look through the Bible. There were plenty of people who came and tried to tell the people of God how to get right. They tried to tell the people of God what was done, but their words were not accepted. They were treated badly. They were run off. But yet and still, God had to send his son. God had to send somebody that was qualified to take care of the problem. And it didn't matter how you felt about it. It didn't matter what your opinion was about it. God was perfectly sending a perfectly qualified person to do that. He reconciled this separation, this this division we had between us and God, this division that would have taken us straight to death, hell, and the grave. But he reconciled it through his blood on the cross. Hmm. Christ reconciled everything on the cross. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Jesus reconciled that by stepping out of eternity. Jesus reconciled that by putting on human flesh. Jesus reconciled that by going to Golgotha a.k.a. Calvary, a.k.a. the place of the skull. Jesus reconciled that by never saying a mumbling word while he took those beatings and bruising. Jesus said that, Jesus reconciled that by being blindfolded and people punching him and saying, prophesy, Jesus, tell us which one hit you. Jesus reconciled that by carrying that cross all the way to Calvary. Jesus reconciled that by dying. And not only did he reconcile that by dying, he reconciled that by raising up on the third day with all power in his hands. But I'm so glad that that's not where the story ends. He is coming back again, and I want to be ready when he comes back because he reconciled everything. And so when I worry about what's going on day to day, I realize I have to focus on the sinner. When I don't know where my help is coming from, I have to focus on the center. Mm. When I'm upset about what's going on politically, I still have to focus on the center. When I'm upset when it was what's going on financially, I have to focus on the center. That map that was made, although it was incorrect geography-wise, was very correct spiritually. Everything has to tie back to Jesus. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.